what kind of plans do you have for your future? Do you have plans about how you'd like to retire, where you'd like to go, where you'd like to live, that kind of thing? Maybe you have plans about a certain time frame in which you'd like to get out of debt. Maybe you have a bucket list of all the places in the world you'd like to see in your lifetime. Um, You know, in fact, if you have something that you're willing to share, like go ahead and put it in the comments. I'm curious to see, like, do you want a vacation in Hawaii? Uh, do you want to, you know, go to Scotland and see the beautiful highlands? What? Just let us know. What kind of goals and hopes do you have for the future? It'd be kind of cool to share those with each other. Um, for Abby and I, we're currently working on, on three things, probably more things than we're aware of than that, but three is a good number to that, that, I, that we definitively are constantly working on. Uh, one, we're saving for retirement. You know, we don't want that to sneak up on us, and we are getting older by the day. Um, the second thing is we're saving for our next car. We try to you know, always be saving for the next car before our current one dies. And the third thing is we're saving up to go to Disney World. Now, of those three things, one is much less necessary, but way more fun to think about. Uh, you know, um, we went to uh, Disney World on our honeymoon, actually, and we had a blast. Uh, we, we rode as, much, as many rides as we could. Uh, we ate as much food as we could. And, and now the kids are, are at an age where they would just really get a kick out of all of it. The boys would like the rides. I think Eleanor, she, she really loves Minnie Mouse and Disney princesses. I think there's so much that she would love too. And so that's kind of this thing that we're thinking about and working towards. And, you know, so many of us, we think about planning. We think about our futures and what we want it to look like. Now, I think all of us plan to a certain degree, but there's some of us, some of us who are here today that really, really like to plan. And and the thing is, I think that this gets ingrained at us from a or ingrained in us from a really young age. Like it starts in like kindergarten or first grade when people start asking you, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And when you're that age, you say something awesome like, "I want to be a space firefighter or a dinosaur trainer, you know, something like that. Um, But then, you know, you get into middle school and people ask you again, what do you want to be when you grow up? Only now they expect you to start putting together a plan. They start expecting you to have serious answers to that question. I remember getting asked that when I was 14 and they had me take out this little, or fill out this little like survey that was supposed to tell you what you area of life, what area of the workforce you would be good at, you know. I don't remember my results, but I remember being terrified because I didn't have a clue. And uh, it took me a while to figure it out. We went into high school, you know, and more and more friends, they start picking out where they're going to go to school, what jobs they're going to pursue, you know, all, where they want to go, what program they need to get into, all that stuff. And I didn't know. I didn't figure it out definitively until I was 20. So um, I, I was terrified of that, that planning question. But yet that's kind of what we get nudged toward. We got to plan. We got to reach. We've got to achieve. You can't let tomorrow sneak up on you. And and yet there's one thing as we put together all these plans about money and life stage and all of that, there's one thing that we tend to overlook in our plans. There's this huge, incredibly huge factor that changes absolutely everything, whether we leave it in or leave it out. It's so important and so big that it makes absolutely no sense that we would not plan for the future or that we would plan for the future and leave out this huge, huge thing. And the thing actually isn't a thing, it's a person. And it's more than a person, it's, it's our God. You see, we often leave God out of our future plans, you know, which, which makes no sense, especially for those of us who are Christians. I mean, if you're not a Christian, I, I, it makes 
or a person of faith, it makes perfect sense that you would plan for the future and, and leave God out of it. But for those of us who are Christians, I mean, we are the people who say our lives are led and directed by God himself. And yet, when we plan for the future, we very rarely invite God into that planning meeting. We are so guilty so often of leading and directing ourselves. Now, as we get into uh, the book of James today, that's what we've been doing in this series. We've been going through uh, the New Testament book of James, which is actually a letter written by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, to Jewish Christians who had been scattered all over the Roman Empire. And, and as we get into James today, we're going to be in James chapter 4. We're going to uh, start in verse 13, and we're going to finish up chapter 4 today. And so um, James is going to talk about how we view the future how we look about at tomorrow and what comes after tomorrow. So James chapter 4, we'll start in verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Uh, that, that seems like a pretty weird and generic, almost pointless sentence when you read it on its own, but let me try to break it down here. Um, he starts off by saying, come now, which is a Greek phrase that was used to get people's attention. Uh, the word come actually is a word that w when you said, told somebody, come with me, it's a word that means to grab somebody and kind of drag them along with you. This is a, a, a phrase that James is using saying, listen up, pay attention. This is really incredibly important. Unfortunately, that kind of gets lost in, in some of the, the Bible translations when it just says, come now. But that's what he's doing here. And then he kind of, lays out this, this hypothetical situation that it seems like isn't, uh, or it's a common situation, not a hypothetical situation. It's something that a lot of people are, are, are wanting to do, which is to go to a, a specific town, city, set up shop for a year, and do business and make a, a good amount of money and go on with their life, kind of get set by having like a year to get, you know, their wealth established in a sense. And and this was something that was incredibly common in the Roman Empire uh, for a couple of reasons. Rome, um, when they kind of took over the whole world, they did a couple things that, that really encouraged people to move around more than people ever had before. Um, one, they achieved an unprecedented level of peace um, because as Rome took over the whole world, there were still like these border skirmishes with people fighting along the edges. But in the middle of the Roman Empire, the bulk of the time, it was an incredibly peaceful, incredibly safe place to live. And so that encouraged people to kind of branch out and feel safe traveling from city to city or even making long journeys across the empire itself. Um, and the second thing that Rome did was they built the real first system of roads that, that gave people the ability to travel much farther and faster than had ever been possible before. And so as people began traveling all over the Roman Empire, what happened was there would be these little cities that would start popping up, towns and cities um, as kind of stopping points where people would spend the night, you know, get uh, their supplies refreshed and things like that. And so um, if you got in on the ground floor, like if you, you know, had some sort of job that, that enabled you to help people that were traveling and you could get to one of these cities when it was first getting started, you could really, really do well for yourself. Um, it kind of reminded, it makes me think of like the California gold rush um, in the 1840s and 1850s. I mean, a lot of people just couldn't resist that 
that prospect of getting rich, of changing their life, of changing maybe their, their family tree and the history of their family by, by establishing themselves as a, as a family of wealth, right? People just couldn't resist that draw. I mean, there were so many people that, you know, heard about California gold. Well, let's hitch up the wagon, hit the Oregon Trail, hope we don't die of dysentery and go get rich. Like, there's just so many people that just could not say no to that. And and so this was a common thing that was happening in the Roman Empire. A lot of people were just saying, I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to get rich, and then maybe I'll come back to town. And, and James um, kind of starts to kind of set us up with, to show us what's, what's wrong with our way of, of thinking, the way that we handle plans. Because notice, again, God's not mentioned here. And, and these statements that are made about the plan, they're made with such certainty, all right? They know precisely when they're going to leave. Uh, they know precisely where they're going to go. They know uh, how long they're going to be there, what they're going to do. They know the, how, how successful their work is going to be. They know how much money they're going to make. Boom, they've got it all figured out. And, and this is such a confident place to be in this place of having all the answers, to have such certainty about the future, to have no, no question unanswered. And, and I don't know about you, but that's kind of my attitude when I make plans for the future. I mean, I, I try to work out every detail, I assume, and, and even if, I'm not, if, it's, if it's something where I'm not working out every, every detail, because I'm not like crazy all the time, um, but, but even when I'm just like kind of hoping, you know, kind of sketching, getting a loose outline for what I'd like the future to be. Even then, I still assume that all my predictions, all my plans, all my assumptions, all my expectations, I just, I just think those are all going to work out. Uh, that whether I'm planning a vacation or my preaching calendar for the year or, or where I'm going to spend the holidays of this year, which family, where we're going to go, I just kind of plan that, I just kind of think that what I plan is going to be what happens. And you might have a plan, you know, your plans could be to pay off the house or what kind of job you're going to get when you graduate or, or, or what kind of house you want to buy and what city you want to live in. But our plans, when we make them in our head, they always seem so perfect and we assume that what we plan will come to pass. And then James comes along to kind of burst our perfect little bubble. He goes on in verse 14, he says, Yet, so you, do all, you make all these plans, and yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So James bursts our bubble of planning, and then he gets a little depressing at the end. So let's tackle these in, in turn. So first he tries to point out the fact that we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We just don't. I mean, if there's anything that can prove to us that we do not know what tomorrow is going to bring and that all of our planning and all of our uh, scheming can, you know, ultimately end up being nothing, I think if there's anything that can prove that to us, it's 2020. I mean, not a single one of us are living the year that we plan for. Not a single one of us even knows what next month is going to look like. And so for the first time in our lives, many of us are being confronted with the reality that we aren't in control of tomorrow. We aren't in control. We can guess, we can calculate, we can weigh all the factors, we can even hope but we don't have a clue what is truly going to happen tomorrow, what tomorrow looks like. And this is where James, what he was trying to do here, is he wants to dismantle our overconfident attitude about how much control we actually have about the future. 
And, you know, let me be clear. It's not that planning is bad. It's not that preparing for old age is bad or that planning for emergencies is bad. None of that is bad. But what we have to keep in mind, we have to keep in mind, is that at best, our plans get written in pencil, not pen. They need to be able to be erased and rewritten as life happens. You know, Abby and I have had so many times in our life, big and small, just since we got married, um, that, again, plans got drastically changed or, or changed a little bit. Um, probably the biggest curveball we, we ever had was um, in the second year of our marriage, we ended up adopting a junior hire. I uh, didn't see that coming. That was not at all in our plan. I mean, we're absolutely glad that it happened. It was an opportunity that God handed to us, but it most certainly wasn't anything that we ever saw coming. And most of the curveballs haven't been that big, because um, then there's the smaller stuff, like one year, uh, just a few years ago, uh, we were going to spend Christmas at my family, and it was Eleanor's first Christmas, you know, and the whole family's so excited for baby's first Christmas, and it was supposed to be this really big deal, and and then all five of us ended up getting the flu, and there were some people throwing up, there was high fevers, everyone was absolutely miserable, we sat at home, and basically ended up spending like two weeks just praying for the sweet release of death because it was so it was so bad um so that happens and then there's like the small things like you know we had there's been times where we've had evening plans and those get trashed so that we can take a kid to the doctor to get some stitches you know it just happens that's what life does and we must be ready and willing to accept the fact that life is regularly going to throw us curveballs regularly and then james adds on this little depressing bit here um onto the whole, you don't control what tomorrow looks like. And he says that we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The picture he's painting is like when you walk outside on a, on a really cold winter's morning and you take a deep breath out and you get that big puff of, of steam that comes out of your mouth and then it just is gone as quickly as it showed up. It just <laughs> dissipates, right? And what he's trying to say here, ultimately, is that our lives are on earth are incredibly short. And, in, and the, in the scheme of human history and the earth's history, we just aren't that important. We aren't powerful enough, smart enough, or important enough to have the kind of control that we regular, regularly act like we have. And, and if that last little bit there, if that's kind of depressing to you, um, just remember, what James is trying to do is he's trying to dismantle our overconfidence in ourselves so that we can rebuild our lives with something better, so that we can begin moving off in a better direction. So let's start right here in verse 15. He says, instead, here's what you ought to do. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Since we cannot control the future, he says, look to the one who is in control of the future, God himself. We look to God for guidance as we move into the future. Now, I think there's two big ways that we need to lean on God as we make our plans for what the tomorrow is going to look like, okay? The first one, first thing we need to do is we must learn to trust God with the future, you and I have to learn to trust God with the future. It is really hard for a lot of us to let go of, of control. I mean, if you ever worry about the future, 
about, oh, no, will my kids turn out all right? Will we have enough saved for retirement? Is my job stable? Uh, will everyone stay healthy? If you've ever kind of like worried about those things, chances are you like control and wish you had more of it because you want to control all those outcomes and make and, and kind of force life to be exactly as you want it to be. And you know, that's me. As someone who worries a lot, I love having control and I wish I had all the control. And, but, but so much of, of the things that I worry about, they're tied to those things that ultimately when I just sit down and admit it, I, I, there's nothing I can do about them. I can't control if everyone stays healthy. I can't control a lot of what's gonna happen in the future. And if I'm really honest, a lot of my anxieties stem from the fact that I know that I don't control tomorrow and I don't trust the one who does control tomorrow. That I'm, I'm, I really don't trust that God's going to take good care of my future, that he's going to make good decisions for my future. And I think this has a lot to do with the fact that, that we've just un- misunderstood God's role in our lives in this area. Um, like right now, a lot of Christians, maybe some of you, are angry with God and questioning God about this year Um, because we can't imagine why God would allow us to miss, cancel, postpone all of these important events that were supposed to happen. You know, why would so many kids have to miss graduations and their, you know, sports season their senior year? Uh, Why has God left so many people dying of this virus or or having lasting health issues? Why has God left so many of us isolated and alone for months on end? And and these are incredibly big and, and legitimate questions that come from the fact that we just can't see purpose in God's reasoning or in or, 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 or any reason why this is happening the way that it is. But it also comes from the fact that life is serving up a more unpleasant year than we had ever wanted for ourselves. And we think that we're struggling to trust God oftentimes. At least the way I kind of started to look at this year was, you know, I thought I was struggling to trust God because it kind of felt like God had been untrustworthy. He didn't give us the year we wanted. He didn't give us the year we planned. He didn't give us the year that we deserved. But the reality is, and the reality that James is trying to open us up to, and, and the reason why we're often struggling to trust God is because we put too much hope in our ability to direct the future. We thought that our plans were almost as if God's word. We said it, we declared it, that's how it needs to happen. We pridefully and arrogantly assume that life should go the way that we want it to go and that God ought to give us the life that we want, which is a happy and pleasurable life. But we aren't the ones in control. We don't get to decide what life we get to live. That's God's department, not ours. And that's something that we need to surrender. And that's something we've lost in recent history because for centuries, Christians have understood that God dishes out, or that God and life dish out good and bad on everyone, on all types of people. Good and bad just happen. There are good days and bad days for every single human being who ever lives. There will be joyful moments and tragic moments for every human being who ever lives. And just because we can't see the future, what we've got to do is we've got to hold our plans with an open hand and we trust God to see us through whatever is around that next corner that we can't see. So we've got to learn to trust God with the future. Stop trusting in our plans and stop assuming that we have the right to determine 
the future. That's all God's department. And so we've got to surrender that to him and learn to trust that whatever tomorrow brings, he is going to be there with us in the middle of it. The second thing, the second way I think we need to lean on God as we make plans for the future is our plans for the future need to be God-driven. Our plans need to be driven by the things that God wills and wants us to do. Um, So we don't get to just make plans that we think are best. No, we need to let God's principles that are found in his word and God's will may be revealed to us in prayer. Those things need to inform the decisions and the choices and the plans that we make. So that whatever we plan for, whatever we aim for, we know that we are living a life where we are honoring God as much as possible along the way. Um, For instance, James, uh, the example James gives about the plan uh, for someone to go somewhere for a year and get rich. That's not exactly, there's nothing in there that reveals a heart for God in that. You know, in fact, the New Testament is full of passages warning about the dangers of acquiring too much money and stuff. Um, So so what does it look like then if we're going to, you know, let God's will, let God's word inform how we plan for the future? Well, um, let's just look at one, just one aspect, okay, of, of how God has called us to live. Um, God calls us to be generous, um, and that's based on the fact that he is incredibly generous, evidenced in the fact that he sent his own son in the world to die for us. And so not only is he generous, but he, he wants us to reflect that generosity to the world. So, okay, if God wants me to, to live a generous life, how does that affect my plans? Well, um, there's several ways that could change how you plan for the future. It could plan the, the financial goals that you make. Uh, maybe you could plan to lower your standard of living little by little for, uh, uh, over the course of a few months so that you're, you're living below your means, so that you have more margin in your budget, more money in your budget freed up to give. Um, you could do used cars instead of new cars. You could make coffee at home instead of buying it on your way to work. You could cancel cable. You could limit how much you spend on clothes in a particular month or a year. There's all these ways where you can kind of pare back the things that you buy for you so that there's more open to be generous with. Um, But generosity, it isn't just tied to money. You can also decide to be generous just with yourself. Um, If you're a super planner who keeps a, a detailed calendar, Maybe you leave a couple hours a week of just open space and that's there for those opportunities that just kind of fall in your lap. Opportunities to encourage somebody who needs it, um, to help somebody who, who, needs, who needs something from you and you can just show up and, and help because you've, you've left room for that. Um, maybe you could help a friend move. I know that's like the worst thing ever. That's like the ultimate act of generosity sometimes. Um, but, but just make places in our lives where, where we can help, where we can give of ourselves, where we can be generous. You could look for opportunities, way to plan, ways to plan into your schedule where you could volunteer at church or the camp or Lewis Memorial, something like that. There are so many ways that we can let God's principles and his will for our lives inform the decisions as we plan, but we cannot afford to leave him out of our plans anymore. And James is going to explain to us exactly why that is, verse 16 and 17. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, when we plan for the future, when we're just like saying, here's my desired future, and we don't think about God's will, what what God might want us to do, 
um, or how to inc- live a more God-honoring life, when we just plan for the future and we just assume that it's going to happen, James calls that arrogance. It's an overconfidence in our own abilities. Because again, I'm so guilty so many times of just thinking that because I've planned it, that means it's going to happen in the future. And he says living like that, thinking like that, as a Christian, that is evil. And since we know it's evil, we can't keep doing it. And so we all know, if you're watching this, you know that it's evil now because James just told you. And so we can't keep leaving God out of our future plans. We need to keep acting as, or we can't keep acting as if we have this total, complete control over tomorrow. We can't keep believing that we are entitled to the exact life that we want. And and what's tricky about about this is it's a, a mentality shift. This isn't a do three things and God will be pleased with you type of thing. This is a, a transformation of the way you think, of the way you look at your life, of the way you look at your future. And, and that's exactly what James is calling us to do, to change the way we think so that we have a more God-focused way of thinking and looking at the world. And ultimately, what this is about is you and me surrendering another aspect of our lives to our Creator, the aspect of our future. We surrender it to him and say, God, it's yours to make with what you want. It's your future, not mine. You know what tomorrow holds. You're the one that has the power to shape it, not me. And again, it's, it's not that planning is wrong. If you're a planner, hear me say that. It's not that planning is wrong or bad. It's that we attempt to go through life so often without the guidance of our Heavenly Father. And, and even more than that, When we do that, we are settling for less. We're settling for these simple pleasures that we can think up and plan up rather than than living the life that God wants where he gives us a life of purpose and meaning. And so if you're a planner, by all means, keep on planning. You're probably not going to be able to stop. I'm sure it's in your nature. God made you that way. But don't ever forget that you live under the, influ- or the authority and the guidance of the creator of the universe. Never forget that you live under his control, not the other way around. We serve him, he does not serve us. And our plans only come to fruition if the Lord wills it.